0: <laughs> okay,
1: on the line with us today, Curtis Frazee, the author of "Back from the Collapse" and "The Collapse is What." Kurt, it's the Great Plains. The because I know in your book you say the population of every large mammal, forty pounds or over, in the plains of eastern Montana, and for that matter across the entire Great Plains, had collapsed. So we're talking about for a hundred years. That's right.
0: Uh... That's
1: right. Starting
0: starting with uh, kind of this, every, ma- every mammal from the beaver through uh, six species of ungulates, elk, bison, pronghorn, deer, bighorn sheep, uh, all the big predators, grizzly bears, wolves, mountain lions, they all collapsed. When I say collapsed, I mean their populations crashed by at least 90% across the Great Plains. Uh, it was a clean slate. Of getting rid of anything that was big
1: and and of course this was based you know kind of I guess you could say uh not to be overly simplistic, but the Native Americans were in the way, big animals are in the way uh we're gonna farm we're gonna ranch we're gonna do whatever we have to do and and these things are just gonna have to move out of our way is that yeah, overly yeah, simplistic exact- or
0: yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, there's some variations on that. The beaver disappeared because of the fur trade. It was the first to go in the early 1800s. And when it disappeared, the river otter disappeared too. Of course, its fur is highly valued. And so anytime a, a beaver trapper caught a, an otter, they were goners also. Um, but then, yeah, the uh, you know, when you got around to the uh, letting the cattle out to graze, the grasslands, they didn't want any competitors out there. So, And, of course, getting rid of the bison, that involved a variety of things, getting them out of the way of the cattle, but also controlling Native American people by getting rid of their main source of protein and, and spiritual animal. Um, and the pr- big predators disappeared uh, in the 1880s and 1890s in eastern Montana, for example. They put a bounty on wolves. And there were four to 6,000 wolves killed every year for bounty just in the plains of eastern Montana. That's where they were abundant, not in the Rocky Mountains, but in the plains. Uh, so it was devastating with Euro-American settlement.
1: Talking with Curtis Frazee, the author of The Back from the Clapson. We should say, first of all, Curtis, you're, you're an ecologist. You're the co-founder of American Prairie, form, uh, founding managing director of the World Wildlife Fund's northern great plains program you've been involved with this for a number of years and what you're doing what you and others are doing is to establish a, a an expand a refuge that is already there in right. uh, eastern montana and uh, tell us a little bit about that how is that going yeah
0: sure um yeah the core the anchor out there for starting this was is the charles m russell national wildlife refuge in northeast montana and the refuge of uh, the Missouri River, the, the Big Muddy, as it's called sometimes, runs right through the middle of that refuge. And so the refuge is largely the Missouri River and then the floodplains uh, next to the river. And then there's the Badlands, sometimes called the Missouri River Breaks, rugged terrain that comes up out of the floodplain. And then you get onto the rolling prairie. And, and largely now, what American Prairie is doing, and we began the project in, in about uh, the year 2000, 2001, actually, it was created, is buying ranches as they come up from, for sale from willing sellers and adding on a lot of that, adding on to the refuge. So eventually, we get to 5,000 square miles or about 3.2 million acres. And I looked at, I looked it up. That's about eight times the size of Peoria County, where you are, I think.
1: Um, that's a big area. And, so, and you need that area, right, Kurt? You need that area to support the animals and the life uh, that you, you're talking about, the prairie life.
0: Right. You've got to have big areas for, for bison that roam across the landscape, uh, for, uh, for wolves and grizzly bears that need big territories. If you want to have a population big enough, that you're not don't have just a few dozen animals. You've got to have a big a, a big area. In addition, the uh, the uh, some of the ecological processes that we call fire is important in the grassland. So one area burns one year, and the animals have to find other areas. So they move around the landscape, finding the green vegetation that's grown up the year after a fire. Um, so it's uh, it takes a big landscape, and there was a study done in the late 18, 1980s uh, showing that even Yellowstone Park was hardly big enough, and we're looking to create an area about one and a half times bigger than Yellowstone Park.
1: And this would be open to the public uh, just Absolutely. as Yellowstone is, right? You yep.
0: bet. It's open to the public right now. In fact, American Prairie is, has uh, made some wonderful campgrounds. Uh, they've created some huts that people can stay in if you don't like to camp. Uh, the number of visitors has been growing quickly. Uh, American Prairie wants to run it just like, essentially, like a national park, or a national wildlife refuge. It's for the public enjoyment, and uh, and so that's a crucial factor. It's it's uh, both the public and, and and creating a place where all the wildlife can thrive again. Uh, something we, we forget when Lewis and Clark came through a couple hundred years ago, it was a thriving ecosystem. It, it was, people have compared it, it must have been like the, the uh, African Serengeti in terms of the abundance of wildlife. People have forgotten what that looks like. So we want to create a, a place where people can again experience what fantastic abundance and diversity of wildlife there was in our Great Plains.
1: We're talking with Curtis Frazee. And, you know, Kurt, in your book, you make the point, and I think this is what us city folks need to be reminded of or informed about, is the benefit of letting this life exist. Uh, the beaver you mentioned being a, sort of sought after for his fur. Well, that beaver, and and I guess the Native Americans knew this, um, does a lot more than, than just, as we know, you know, chop down a tree or two as, as the... Uh, the children will tell us from their classroom that that beaver is a valuable member of the uh, the ecosystem, right?
0: Absolutely. We often recall beaver, species like beaver, a keystone species, like the keystone in an arch. If you don't have them, the thing falls apart. And beaver are uh, ecological engineers, hydrological engineers, better said. Uh, especially in the Great Plains where you have semi-arid conditions and the streams will run dry in the summer. Put a beaver in there to create a bunch of dams up that stream, and almost you've got a series of water holes that raise the water table so the forest grows along the stream. That attracts animals. The water attracts animals. And, of course, it attracts fish and aquatic uh, wildlife. Uh, So beaver are are crucial, especially in these semi-arid ecosystems like like the grasslands of the Great Plains uh, for uh, for supporting a diversity of life. Um, So the uh, yeah, getting beaver back is one of the first priorities out there.
1: And the other the other I learned all kinds of things from your book, The, the the prairie dog, because I think most of us are aware of prairie dogs. We just think they're so abundant. They're everywhere. They pop up, they're so cute. But there's a problem with the prairie dog, isn't there? Because they've been that's they've right. Been I mean, so the prairie different. dog is kind of
0: the uh the, the terrestrial version, if you will, of the beaver. That is it's an ecological engineer on the prairie. Uh they they create these, they create burrows, they live in big colonies. Uh, but we've only we're down to about two percent of the original abundance of prairie dogs on the Great Plains. And and one of the, the uh, tasks, uh, objective of the prey dogs is to avoid being eaten because they are important food for everything from golden eagles to uh, to swift fox to the black-footed ferret. In fact, a black-footed ferret, one of the most endangered mammals in the world and in North America, eats almost only prey dogs, and they live in prey dog burrows. Uh, so as the prey dog has declined precipitously because Largely, the ranching community doesn't like prairie dogs. Uh, the, the black-footed ferret has declined. But there's other species, like the burrowing owl that lives in prairie dog burrows. And, and burrowing owl populations have, have collapsed. So it's another one of these species that you look at and you think, well, that's just a cute little bugger. But actually, they, they are crucial in the ecosystem.
1: And that's that's the beauty of of the, the system that, that you're working to to support there. You get to see, oh, this is why this happened. Or or as a result, I know that one of the controversies that we we see in our world is uh, the wolf is, is you know, there, there's such a, um, I guess, a, a, a sort of a sentiment with the wolf. We, we have Wolfman. We have all kinds of uh, mythology about the wolf. The danger, Peter and the wolf. I mean, we can go on and right. on. But it gets... It gets a bad rap, doesn't it? I mean, because they're not—they're not this sort of uh, evil presence in in the wilds. What, what's your thought on the wolf? Yeah, well, yeah, you know, my thought of the wolf—it's the same as my thought about the mountain lion. Uh,
0: for example, these are top predators, and top predators in ecosystems play a really crucial role. An example for the wolf: the wolf, in fact, likes to chase and in, 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 if they catch them, kill coyotes. And so when you get a lot of wolves in the ecosystem, the coyote population tends to go down. Humans are not very good. They like to control coyotes because of, of problems with coyotes. Uh, they're not very good at controlling coyotes, but wolves are, they're persistent. <laughs> and uh, even in a place is a good example of a study in Yellowstone Park, before they introduce wolves into the park, the coyote population was abundant in this one area, and they would prey on most of the pronghorn antelope fawn. And so the pronghorn weren't doing very well. They brought wolves back into the system. They knocked the coyote population down, and you had higher survival of the pronghorn antelope fawns. So it's these chain reactions that we don't realize. It's the same way with the cougar uh, or the mountain lion. You know, uh, we've got, in the eastern part of the country, uh, Big deer populations are devastating our forests and the undergrowth that that they feed on. That's because the cougar isn't there to keep the deer population in check. So you got to have these big predators that have
1: an ecosystem that really functions well. Now you're getting, you've told me before, you're getting support from some ranchers in the Montana area uh, who understand, uh, OK, yeah, we need some kind of balance. We can't just go, you know. Blast everything out of the out of the off the prairie that isn't uh, you know something for the ranch. Uh, how's that going?
0: That's going well. I think right now American Prairie has uh, sixteen or so ranchers signed up for what they call their Wild Sky program, and these ranchers say, "Okay, we're not going to plow up the prairie. We're going to keep it intact. We're not going to shoot prairie dogs," and and we set up camera traps. American Prairie sets up camera traps on the ranch, and if they get a photo. Of uh, say a cougar or a mountain lion, that is, or a wolf or uh or a bobcat, they get paid for having that wildlife on their ranch. So it's simply saying, hey, we need to help pay our way. And, a different and kind so of bounty. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, some of these particip- participating ranchers say, Well, wow, this is working. I've got a bigger elk population. Now I can also I have hunters coming in that I can make some money off charging a fee to the hunters. Uh, so it kind of diversifies their economic base rather than just relying only on cattle and, and cattle prices. So uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's ranchers that get it. And, uh, and so, and that's important. We've got to have buffer zones around big reserves where people are friendly with wildlife
1: in terms of how they've managed the land. What is your thought, Kurt, on the on the uh, the public's awareness of what you're doing, or or the need for the the balance in in nature?
0: Uh, I compared to twenty five years ago, I think it's much better, um, and and part of that is I think the grasslands, our grasslands, were one of the last ecosystems to get attention. I remember 20, 30 years ago that forests and wetlands, or 40 years ago, our forests and wetlands, rightfully so, were a major concern. How do we protect them? Uh, And now I think uh, finally grasslands are getting the attention. Uh, One of the reasons is, you know, I think about grassland and and biodiversity conservation of grasslands, kind of, there's three pillars. One is the killer threat to our grasslands is the plow. We're still plowing up native grasslands. We shouldn't be doing that anymore. In fact, uh, the last five years we're losing about two million acres a year to the plow of our native grasslands in the Great Plains. Much of that is because of bad farm subsidies that pay farmers to plow land that shouldn't be plowed, it should be in grasslands. The next pillar is making sure that ranchers that ranch livestock do it in a way that supports biodiversity, that supports wildlife. It's just what we were talking about the wild sky ranchers doing. And then the third pillar of conservation is big protected areas, parks, and refugees. You've got to have them as core areas that where you can restore everything. So I think people are well aware of the problem of thawing up native prairie. They're beginning to realize that. The ranching community, bit by bit, is understanding how to manage for, for for wildlife as well as livestock I think the next big challenge is we've got to move the country forward in terms of creating new big protected dairies like American Prairie is doing American Prairie is doing
1: and people can uh, get more information by going to American Prairie uh on the yeah. online right like a-
0: that's right uh yeah you can type up type in American Prairie it'll pop right up you can get a lot of information on what they're doing right now to the to date american prairie has i think done 37 land acquisitions in the last 20 years or so and uh has about uh, almost a half million acres adding on to the charles and russell refuge and um we've got about a thousand bison out there prairie dogs are starting to thrive we're protecting them Uh, And working, we worked with the local tribes, in this case, with the Fort Belknap Indian Reservation. Fort Belknap has just reintroduced the swift fox, and which was extirpated, eliminated from the area. So there's all kinds of great cooperation going on. You can read about it uh, on their website.
1: I like what you said to me last time we talked. And that's, I think I mentioned something about you want to take it back to the way it was with uh, Lewis and Clark. But you said... I don't think it's going back; it's going forward, and that's that's <laughs> something that makes a lot of sense when when you when yeah. you look at it that way. Yeah, because I think we that's, to look at
0: it. that's 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 the way I think we look at it. The only way we're going back is we do think we want to get all those species that were there back, and then let them go and do their thing. And and it's it's looking forward because with climate change, for example, uh, it's going to be more and more difficult. For traditional agriculture to make a go of it, we think a diversity of wildlife out there, a diversity of grasses that are resistant. You know, they they evolved to withstand drought periods and heat and grazing and fire. And get these, uh, get that diversity of grasses and forbs and wildlife back, and you've got a thriving, resilient ecosystem, and one that people can really
1: enjoy. I think that's a great, uh, a great 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 quest a great mission and we wish you the best on it you know in your book and we're talking with curtis Frazee here wrapping it up uh back from the collapse is the book and it's got all kinds of history in there and you know along with stating the things like what the beaver does what the prairie dog offers what you know the need for grassland birds all those things are in there but you've got some great history too when you go back a few years more than a few uh millions probably but When you look at what this country had, what this area had, you know, I'm talking about the giant longhorn bison or these, these giant brown sloths. Uh, I know people tend to gloss over that. I I think we get lost in the dinosaurs sometimes, but you know, these (laughs) creatures were amazing. Um, You know, and, and, you know, it's part of that whole system that you described where one thing supports the other or goes after the other. And, and as a result, it was a balance um, yeah, it's just yeah. fascinating to think about.
0: Yeah, it's you know I kind of think of it. It's kind of the Great Plains is a is a land of immigrants. You know, species came and they went, and new ones came from some some from far off places across the Bering Strait from Asia, and they coalesced into this rambunctious ecosystem. And you know, I, I talk about the history of the region, the deep history back m- hundreds of millions of years, because I. My, my analogy is just like if you visit an Egyptian pyramid or a Mayan temple or buy an old house, if you don't know the deep history of it, it has much less meaning.
1: And mm-hmm. So I
0: think for people, you can go out to the American Prairie and Rus- uh, Russell Refuge and visit it, and you see in the landscape out there rock formations that created 300 million years ago. You go to the cliffs along the Missouri River, and all of you stumble across a dinosaur fossil. So these things are on the landscape. And that's why I think understanding how we got, how that system evolved to where it is today enriches one's experience while, while uh, when, when there.
1: Fair. Sure, we're going to let you go. We we appreciate your time so much. Uh, once again, uh, the book is back from the collapse by Curtis Frazee. Uh, you're uh, you're, you're working on this Prairie project. And, and I know you've got a lot of uh, partners in this. So, uh, we encourage people to uh take notice and uh maybe pay a visit, right?
0: That's Absolutely. <laughs> Love to have you. You'll you'll have the experience of a lifetime. And uh Steve, thank you very much for having me. It's been a been a pleasure. <laughs>